Hey guys, I hope you're loving the Making Bank episodes. Please make sure you guys like and share these episodes as well as comment below for the guests. They love to come back and interact with you. And I really appreciate you watching and listening to Making Bank. So thank you. You are are listening to Making Bank, where we uncover the mindset and success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business. Welcome to Making Bank. I am Josh Felber, where we uncover the mindset and the success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business today. Excited for today's guest, Damon John, Philip Stutz, David Wood, Drew Manning, Rob Dial, Cody Sperber, Michael Burnoff. I know one of the things I, it was pretty funny was you talked about your toughest negotiation ever. And I was like, wait, I was like, wait, wait. And I went back and reread it. I thought that was awesome. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about that. You want to talk about that? Yeah. Let's just start with that for a second. Because I, I, I'm going to segue because I know I have three kids as well. And it just kind of brought well, back. You know, the- I opened up the book with a really tough negotiation where, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting across the table from somebody like who is just like really grounded in what they want to accomplish. And they're pulling out all the tricks and they know how to manipulate people. And it, it is a it is a it is a. It comes as a, it's an innate thing. Humans know, even when they're one and two years old, how to deal with various different people to get what they want, right? Sure. And this person is so hell bent. And then I get to the point. A lot of people say, "Well, you know, you you should never cry in a you know in a negotiation." But this person goes so deep that they start to cry, and it just melts my heart. But then I have to hold my ground and tell my daughter Minka that I will not put on. The Tierra during tea time, but but I almost did. Almost. <laughs> one of the things I want to talk about, and I know you talk about a lot deeper in the book and everything too, is influence. I know one of our questions that had come in was like, you know, how do you build a brand? How do you influence people? And so I know you have a whole chapter on influence. Yeah. Uh, maybe kind of go over some of those points with us. And yeah, I, I think that's important. I think that people think that uh, you know, again, being transactional, you walk into the room and you you do this and that and have this conversation, and they say, oh, Dave, well, how do I build influence with you if I only caught you in an elevator for ninety seconds and sure. I never knew that I would see you? Very true. But the way that you give me the pitch on what you're doing, the same way in a Shark Tank. You throw it out there, what you're doing. You give me a couple of little love. You know, listen, I went through this, I went through this, and now I finally am hitting, you know, I'm, 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 I'm in my groove. I'm hitting this. Here's what my company is doing. Let me give you a card or look me up. Find ways that I can easily, easily digest who you are and who your company is, right? What happens is your influence happens when I leave and I either look you up myself, you know, on this, or my staff looks you up, and then I start going through your feeds, and I start either saying – Wow, this person believes in the same thing I believe in. Oh, I can see this person's history. Oh, I can learn from this person. I can't wait to have this person on my team. I want to see this person even more. Or maybe if this deal doesn't work out, this person's registered with me. And two months later, I may say, hey, did you ever check into that person that I talked to you about? You know? Um, so so remember, you, you know, your 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 influence, your reputation is like a skyline, I say in the book. You know, when you drive through the city, everybody can see that skyline. And I can see you from miles away. On the flip side, Am I looking at your influence and I'm saying, wait a minute, that that person's husband always is wearing a Confederate flag T-shirt. Oh, that person probably is a racist also. Right. 
because they're taking pictures with these people all the time. And, all, and you're, oh, look at how much social media you're putting out, but you don't work in the social media department, but through nine to five at your office, you're putting out more content than the people that work in the social media department. When the fuck is that? <laughs> you, you, you see what I'm saying? So yeah. influence is built through these different aspects. Influence is built through networking. I'm looking, I'm talking about social networking, but influence is built through regular networking as well that, you know, People are more likely, the stats show that people are more likely to recommend somebody that they met at a bar or a networking uh, conference than they are to recommend their own family. Mm, okay. Because I mean, if, if you're my cousin, if you're yeah. my cousin and somebody's, and you're, you are a plumber and you, 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 you decide you are, you know, you, 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 you do the pipes for small complexes. Well, somebody asked me about, do I know anybody for that? I'm like, I wouldn't tell you about you because you and I had a fight when we were six years old or you burnt the turkey during uh, you know, Thanksgiving. I got issues with you. But if I met somebody else who did the same thing in a bar, I would, go, I would go like this. You know, I don't really know this person that well, but you should check into him. He seemed like a really nice guy. Um, and he talked about he does small complexes and things. And they should give him a call. You know, that's how building influence and networking works. And yeah, no, that's, you know, like you mentioned too, is I mean, finding those connection points, you know, with the other person. So through there, and it's a lot different now too, because like you said, sifting through the social media instead yeah. of you just meeting them once at a networking event and then you don't ever see them again and no way to really figure out who they yeah. are. And you can also build influence when you first initially get into the meeting with somebody, like you saying, find a connection point, you know? Right. Listen, oh, you live in Ohio. Well, my friend uh, Al Bubba Baker has uh, something out there in, in uh, Avon, you know yeah. what I mean? And and we, we find ways of connection, and that's called opening up a separate file in somebody's mind when you talk to them so that later on during the times when you and I talk, you remember Avon and Al Bubba Baker, and then you remember me. Right. It's called the, 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 the technique is called opening a file. Yeah, opening a file. Yeah, definitely. What's one question or a thought or an idea? You're like, all right, I was hoping Josh would ask this, but he didn't. <laughs> I was like, I have probably like a dozen more questions, but I'm like, all right, we'll have to kind of like pack them down and try to get your best response to that and give to the audience. So. <laughs> I, you know, I'm on the marketing side. I'm, I'm great. I, I uh, you know, I, I think we, we touch base. Looks, I, I go back to this a million times. Do not start your marketing campaign by guessing. What, what infuriates me, what I think is completely unethical, are marketing agencies that go, we just sat around our table and had a brainstorm session on your product or service. Right. We That's what 99% are. We can't wait to tell you the great ideas we came up with. I don't – I've never done that. I, my brain doesn't work that way because in political marketing, I've never thought like that. Sure. I don't guess anything. Everything I do is based first on the – what does the data say? Then I go, all right, we're going to brainstorm around a table on ideas and messaging and creative ideas that will move the needle on your bottom line based on what your customer wants. I, listen, I love the voter. I love the politician. I love the voter more. Right. Yeah, yeah. I love the business owner, but I'm obsessed with the customer. And so find out what the customer thinks and make sure that you implement a marketing campaign that serves them and connects with them, not what you want to talk about. That's my main mission in everything I'm doing right now. No, that's awesome. And interesting when you were talking, like we did a um, more of an informal kind of data gathering as we took like our top, um, I think, 15 customers, anybody that had spent 
five figures or whatever lifetime with us and went and uh, did phone interviews with them. And the main thing was they were all over 45 and none of them actually were at, on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so we're like, Which right. is counterintuitive because you would think um, the data tells us right now that in a very broad sense that that's Facebook's marketplace right sure. now. Anybody right. older than 45. But that's the thing. You don't know until you know, right? Right. And, oh, yeah. And what you just said is really important. Like, of course, I have a mechanism that you can track data and do all this stuff. You don't have to go out and spend that money. You can do it like you just did. There right. are a million ways to skin the cat, a million ways. I'm just saying stop taking – take the guesswork out of it. I think people are so frustrated with marketing agencies right now because they feel like there's not a lot of certainty around what they do. And yeah. what I want to do is kind of change that dynamic. No, that's awesome. Some of the things I know you, as you mentioned, you know, speaking the truth and tough conversations. Can you got dive in a little bit deeper and kind of what does that mean and how does that look? I've been talking about tough conversations for quite some time, and the trick with that is I think most people are walking around going, I don't have any tough conversations. I'm, you know, I'm, I, I speak up, I, I'm fine, and it doesn't right. sound very appealing. Like, who wants to go and have a tough conversation? Um, but what it's really about is speaking up and people might think oh hey i, I speak up but, but for example um we, most of us tend to have some secrets sure there might be some things we don't want to tell our partner because it might create some waves she's going to get upset you know if it's a serious thing like i broke an agreement or i was unfaithful she might leave me mm. um you know there's a lot of risk to speaking up and speaking your truth. But I believe that there's profit in it as well. You might lose something, but you can gain so much. For for let's you know, let's go there since I brought it up. When I was 18, I had my first serious relationship and I was a complete idiot, got drunk one night and cheated on my partner. Right. Now, there are a lot of people in the society that might go or I just want to do it again, but there's no need to bring it up and destroy the relationship and upset her. You know, they tell themselves that had I gone that route, then I would have had to carry that secret for 30 years. Mm. But I decided to, I, I didn't really have a choice. I just, I don't want anything that's going to bite me on the ass later on. I'd rather it bite me on the ass now. Right. So I spoke uh, I had a very tough conversation with her and I spoke my truth, which is I cheated on you. I feel terrible. What can I do to make it right? And the, the, uh, you could predict what could happen. She <laughs> broke up with me as she should. And so, you know, for a while I lost that relationship, but then I demonstrated my commitment, which again, is what I think was meant to happen, demonstrated my commitment. I actually rented a tuxedo and, um, spent six hours on a train with a bunch of flowers <laughs> to go up to where she was staying and apologize. And uh, she ended up forgiving me, getting that I was committed, and we ended up getting married. Oh, wow. Okay. So there's an example. That's a, that's a big one. I don't want to scare people <laughs> off. I'm not saying that you need to go and confess to crimes and confess to breaking agreements uh, in the beginning, but... There are withholds we have. So let's say from our boss, we might think that the, the way our boss speaks to us 
is demeaning. And, you know, I feel like my boss is just criticizing all the time. Mm. Or there might be a staff member who's not uh, pulling their weight. And I kind of don't want to rock the boat, but something's got to be said. These are all examples of where you could identify your truth to start with. Like, oh, this is my truth. And can I find an artful way to speak my truth? And that's that's another way of saying, let's let's find those tough conversations because you don't want to speak your truth and then run away. Right. I've done that. That's called a tough monologue. <laughs> we don't want to do that. So a tough conversation is really speaking your truth and then staying there to hear what the other person's got to say. Okay. And you, there's just so many benefits. So as uh, obviously, you know, as entrepreneurs, we have a lot of entrepreneurs watching the show. What are some, you know, working with all your clients, everything over the years, and a lot of big Fortune 100 companies, what are some of the tough conversations as entrepreneurs, you know, maybe small ones to some of the bigger ones so we can kind of break them in a little easier? Yeah, great question. Yeah, let's make it real. Well, we've touched on some of the personal side. So entrepreneurs are going to have things happening in their life with their partner, with their kids, and with their friends. And if you don't handle those things, if you don't speak up, that's an energetic drain mm-hmm. on you. And they start to weigh up to the point where you're kind of energetically hunched over, but you don't even know it anymore because you're just so used to all these secrets. So you can start to look for, is there any, are there any withholds you have from your friends, your partner, or your kids? And one question I think is great, grab, a, grab pen and paper, and you can just ask yourself, if I was 30% more truthful, just 30%, what might I say to my partner? Is there a desire I have? Is there something that's bugging me? Is this, you know, some kind of secret or a withhold? Right. Just, just write it down. This doesn't mean you have to go and share it, but just start to become, do an audit. Same with your kids, same with any friends. Like, is there a friend that's bugging you or someone who disappointed you or someone you're resenting or you're a little bit angry with? Just start doing an audit. And then in your work life, if you're an entrepreneur, you might be your boss. But if you report to someone, then you could do the same exercise with them. Is there anything that's unexpressed? If I died today, what is left unsaid? Uh, Maybe you've got a business partner. Maybe, um, what about your, your staff? Is there a staff member? And, and they, there can be good things too. Like, is there sure. a staff member you really appreciate and you haven't fully told them? Okay. That can be yeah. some truth. Or is there something they need to uh, change? They need to maybe step up in a particular area and you just haven't found the right way to, to say it yet. And then you've got your customers, And your vendors, there might be a vendor that drives you bonkers. Maybe um, you got someone who pays late constantly or someone who shows up late to calls with you. Right. And and you just sweep it under the carpet, right? Whereas your truth is, you know, I feel a little annoyed and contracted every time you show up five minutes late. I feel like you don't respect my time. Can you find an artful way to say, and I, I have a four-step process. If you want, we can get into it about how you can bring it up. Because, yeah, if you bring it up the wrong way, it can be a train wreck. Right. From my health perspective, is 
entrepreneurial people, a lot of times the health gets pushed aside, the fitness and exercise kind of gets pushed to the side sometimes. Even though they may be healthy in general, that just doesn't become number one priority. <laughs> what are some different things? Obviously, keto is a big thing now. I'm, I've focused on keto the last several years and that's, you know, we, we were paleo for a long time and then kind of switched over. Um, I do a lot of intermittent fasting and, and keto type uh, focus with nutrition and everything. What are maybe some different health tips that you've found that people can implement and be able to help keep them on a healthy track? Yeah. So here's the thing. As an entrepreneur, you're pressed for time. Like, you know, right. there's no nine to five job. The, the job never ends. You know what I'm saying? So like <laughs> there's always work to be done. So this is what I found is a keto plus intermittent fasting approach works really well for entrepreneurs. And I'll tell you why. One is once you become keto adapted, it might take a couple weeks, your brain on ketones the mental clarity mm. you experience is through the roof. It's like night yeah. and day compared to glucose because what happens when you're glucose adapted, you're going to burn through glucose. So let's say you have cornflakes for breakfast. You're going to, okay, it tastes great for a minute, but then after an hour, you're going to be absolutely starving. And then you're going to be hangry because <laughs> once you drop low in blood sugar, your body doesn't know how to use ketones yet. And so right. your body is kind of freaking out like where is our fuel source going to come from? And then it's hard to focus as an entrepreneur or business owner because of that lack of glucose. But once you're keto adapted, your body can tap into almost unlimited amounts of stored body fat that it can use as energy for your brain, your muscles, your organs. And this is why your brain feels so sharp on keto. And this is why I love it. I went from eating six small meals a day, Tupperware containers, meal prepping, taking my food with me everywhere I went to make sure I was eating every three hours to eating once or twice a day, my brain is sharp. I'm able to maintain my muscle mass and my digestion is so much better as well because I'm not having to eat all day long. I'm not a slave to <laughs> <Yeah>. food anymore. <laughs> Guess what? When you're not eating, you can get so much work done. You know, As long as you're not hangry and you're getting these big spikes and dips in blood sugar levels, you feel normal. You feel great. You feel like you can keep going. And that's why I think a keto plus intermittent fasting approach is great for entrepreneurs. Um, that way they're not – you know, sacrificing their health to gain wealth. They're kind of getting the best of both worlds. And sure. this is why people in Silicon Valley and a bunch of CEOs are looking into these types of biohacks so that they can be more optimal and show up a better version of themselves to their work without being, you know, a slave to food and having to meal prep all the time and work out for hours on end, you know, do three to four high intensity interval training uh, sessions per week, maybe 10 to 20 minutes long. And that's pretty much all you need. Now, are you going to be able to get ripped and put on a lot of muscle mass? Uh, you know, probably not, but you can maintain or lose some weight, lose some right. fat on this type of approach. And you, you don't have to sacrifice your time as an entrepreneur. So that's why I love that approach. No, that's awesome. That's one of the biggest things that I found was, you know, be able to intermittent fast. Um, <clears throat> you know, it used to be a shorter window. Now it's I mean, from the night before, pretty much up until almost the next dinner, uh, yeah. ranges, you know, yeah. from a fasting standpoint and, and then kind of keeping in that ketosis and stuff. So, um, is there anything like with that, you know, do you recommend maintaining ketosis seven days a week or do you, you know, like three on one off, you know, or I've seen different stuff out there and you read all the different things. Like what have you found that works the best? Yeah, so in my book, I lay out an exact plan for different options of what works best. So the, the cool. best thing to do first is the first 30 days, get adapted. Okay. Be sh as strict as possible. Allow your body time to adapt to ketones as the main energy source. After those 30 days, look into either the targeted keto diet, which is for someone that likes to do you know, CrossFit or Jiu-Jitsu mm. or like 
a, a nice heavy lifting session with like uh, supersets where you're, you know it's very glycolytic. A targeted keto diet would work really well. Or you could do the cyclical keto diet where you do maybe six days on, one day off. So okay. that you can enjoy, you know, pancakes with your kids or pizza <laughs> night, you know, or taco Tuesday night with your family. Do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I do that all the time. I like to cycle in and out of ketosis because that's what our bodies were designed to do. You don't have to be keto forever. Right. Just learn how to be metabolically flexible on both glucose and ketones. And so that's why my book, Complete Keto, is a great approach for entrepreneurs, business owners, moms, dads that are busy. Uh, it's, a, it's a great approach for all those people in that category. Uh, and then just, I guess you, if you want to tell people, where can they find your book? Yeah, Complete Keto on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or just go to fit number two, fat number two, fit.com. And you can get all my programs and all my books and all my stuff, my supplements and social media at, at fit, fat to fit. Cool. Awesome. And then just uh, one last thing before we wrap up, you mentioned earlier, you know, you know, trying to be like the best dad to your daughters and everything yeah. like that. What are some of the things that you really found that just, you know, that you've, that, that work well for you and just, you know, really have that fun. I mean, cause I know I always enjoy you know, spending time with my kids and doing those different things and all that. So I just wanted to hear kind of some of your insights. Yeah, for anyone that has daughters out there, the book Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters mm -hmm. is a must read. Um, and that's definitely helped me have a better relationship with, with my daughters. But then on top of that, being a present parent. And I talk about this on my Single Daddy Daily uh, platform, which is a podcast as well for single parents out there. Um, a, being a present parent to me means being in the moment with my kids instead of on my phone, checking emails, answering messages. Like there's times for that. Right. But then when, I, when I'm with my girls, I want to be with my girls. And that's where meditation comes in, where it helps me to be present in the moment when I'm with my kids, when it's time to be present with them instead of, okay, I'm with them. But my mind is on business, you know, answering messages and social media posts and things like that. Awesome. I guess working with entrepreneurs and things, what are some of the other challenges that you see that you've worked through with them and some maybe some insights yeah. for I think, entrepreneurs? In, okay, in a so very have, broad question. Yeah. Well, you have, here's the thing. I always say you have internal work, right? Which, right. Is, which is the mindset, which is all that stuff. But there's also the external work. And so the internal would go to mindset, it'd go to food, it'd go to the energy chat, okay. the fact that if you're working out, what you're putting into your body. External that I think really holds people back the most is the people that they surround themselves with. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's one of the things that, that I don't think people really take into account is sure. you have to kind of get rid of some people in your life. And in, in, in I deal with, if I'm being honest, I would say one of the main messages that I get, I get hundreds of messages all the time. And one of the main things is that my wife doesn't believe in me or my spouse mm. talks crap or my mom has never believed in me and always talks down to my dreams. And people don't realize that, that whatever you put in, you will get out. And whether it's you putting in that input in or someone else putting that input into your brain right. of you not being enough. I'm not saying you need to never hang out with your mom again. <laughs> but what I'm saying is can you spend less time with, with the people who are negative or who are bringing you down? And can you spend more time with the people? And if there are no, no people that support you, can you just spend more time with people online who teach you the right things right. and then start to see if you can build a network of people who, I talk to my best friend every single day. And literally we're on the, we've done it every single day basically since 2006, we were in Cutco together. <laughs> and we just literally talk about our goals. We build each other up. And there's never been a point where I'm like, you can't do that. Mm. There's never a point where he's been like, I don't right. think that you could do it as well. And so if there's at least just one person that believes in me, 
it allows me to believe in myself even more. Sure. And oh, so yeah. I think that people pay attention to their internal environment. They try to take care of that. But then one thing they completely forget is they th forget about the external environment. Right. And uh, once again, if it's someone that you love, someone's been in your life the entire time, you don't have to get rid of them completely, but could you spend less time with them? For sure. To allow yourself more, because here's the thing that I've, uh, you know, I was listening to, I listen to Ram Dass a lot. Like, I don't know if you listen to Ram Dass. Yeah. I, I mean, he's incredible. Because uh, I've, I've done a lot of personal development over the past 14 years. Now it's more of like the spiritual and taking the spiritual okay. and putting it into there. And he says, if a flower doesn't grow, you don't try to change the flower. You change the environment of the flower. Because you don't actually grow a flower. Right. What do you grow? You, the, you allow the environment to be perfect for it. And if it is perfect for it, it will grow. Well, if you're not growing, your business isn't growing, if you feel stuck, if your mindset feels stuck, maybe you've put a ton of work into yourself, but you haven't looked at the actual flower bed that you're sure. inside of. Okay. And so what, what I always tell people is do, do a full audit mentally, physically, that's your internal. And then do a full audit of external, your environment, where you live. If you live in a dump and it's trashed all the time, you're probably not gonna do very well. Right. You know, if you are around people who are negative all the time, you're probably not gonna do very well. I had a really good lesson and this is, this is really big for me. You knew who David Osborne is? Oh yeah. David Osborne, he's worth like a hundred million dollars. He's been on the show. Human. <laughs> he's just a great person, right? Definitely. And I, this, he was on my show about a year and a half ago. Okay. And I took pride in the fact that I still drove my 2007 Hyundai Santa Fe. I had all of this money, I could buy a new car, but I was like, whatever, dude, like I'm gonna run this thing into the ground. And I've had this thing for 11 years. And, uh, and he didn't tell me not to, but he, had the, he, he basically dropped a seed to me and he said, well, what I realized a long time ago is that the way that, I, the way that I get somewhere dictates the way that I feel when I get out and the way that I present myself. And that was basically the summarization of what he said. And right. I went, damn, I'm just getting a new car. And, so, <laughs> and so, so I got a new car and I realized that he's not lying. Like when I was in that car, that I, that I, it got me from A to B, but I sure. did kind of hate it. But it was like this thing of like this prideful thing of, I still have this car, like I could still drive it. I don't yep. need to, to buy a new car. But then when I got my truck and it was what I wanted, exactly what I've wanted for the longest time, I get out of my truck and I'm like, damn, I love that thing. And <laughs> yeah. then I go into my next meeting or my next, whatever it is that I'm going into with a little bit more energy or positivity than I would have. And that's also external environment. And so I think people need to do a, an audit on internal and external environment and really see if it is uh, helping them or hurting them in the way that they're building their business. What keeps you going? What drives you through that? You know, because some people hit that and they're like, ah, man, and they give up or, you know, oh, yeah. this happened to me. But what pushes you and gets you there to that next day, that next day? Yeah, well, in the beginning, it was uh, necessary for me to make money. I was so broke. Right. I had to fight through <laughs> it. I didn't have a choice. But as I started growing, um, I think a couple of things. Um, family. I had some pretty big whys in my okay. life of wanting to help my dad and retire my dad. You know, he's gone through some things. He's always been there for me, and he was my right. hero growing up. And then uh, being empowered through my real estate income to be able to give back to him. I retired my dad right around the time I was becoming a millionaire. I was able oh, to wow. retire That's my awesome. parents. He actually now works for me and it's been the greatest blessing of my life to be able to go to work every single day and work with my family. That's now cool. I take my son to a lot of my rehabs on the weekends and nights and stuff like that. And so getting him now involved now that he's, right. since, since he was seven, I started bringing him with me. Now he's 10 he like runs job sites. He like rolls around and, you know, gives people raises and hires and fires. I'm like, what are you doing? You can't do that. But that's been a big driver, the family aspect and having a very strong why. 
Also, I've done a really good job. I think one of my core competencies is building an amazing team of okay. people way sure. better than me, smarter than me, faster than me, more capable than me. But I was always the enthusiastic guy that like got everybody on board, put them in the right seat of the bus. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to this if, if they understand this. Simon Sinek talked about you know understanding how to explain why people do things. So sure. it's like most entrepreneurs know what they do, they know how they do it. Simon Sinek brought in this other piece, which was like the why the piece. The why part, right. I think there's one more that needs to be added, and that's the what's in it for you if you do it alongside with me. If you take your mm -hmm. big vision of wanting to be sure. an entrepreneur and make a lot of money and help your why and your family, get that in alignment with mine. I was always really good at bringing everybody together. together. Okay. And then when that happens, now I work harder because I feel responsible and obligated to this team that sure. I've helped assemble. And I'm willing to do things that like naturally I probably wouldn't do. It's like having a personal trainer. I'll work out harder when somebody's holding me accountable. Right. So I have this amazing team holding me accountable. So that's probably the magic glue in the formula between it all is family and an amazing team. Obviously you said putting the team together, creating that uh, alignment and that synergy and everything. I guess, how did you grow the brand, yeah. you know, kind the of marketing that, that parts of it? Yeah. Because yeah. there's a lot of people that, you know, do marketing for their e-commerce business or we, I know we have real estate um, people that are watching right now and they're like, man, you know, I, you know, how did he get to, you know, a million followers or how did he, you know, get the brand out there? So when you look anywhere, it's all over the place. Yeah. So first off, uh, I'm passionate about marketing. So I think that helps is that <laughs> I like to geek out and lean in on those things. Right. I also am an extremely hard worker, so I am willing to sacrifice a tremendous amount of free time mm. leaning in on something. Okay. I'm, and I bet if you're watching this, you're probably like this. You're either completely obsessed or you neglect it completely. Totally, yeah. And that, yeah. I'm, I'm that guy that just like, I lean in on something and I, I'm just, it becomes something where I can't sleep. I don't want to eat. I don't want vacations. Like that sounds horrible to me. Like right. all I want to do is work towards these particular goals. And with marketing, I just always took this omnipresent kind of approach where it's like, I care so deeply about that customer experience sure. that I just would sit there and model out, okay, what would I want to feel like? I'm new. What are all the things that new real estate investors feel like? What are those challenges? What are those hurdles? Because as I started having success, I started to forget. Right. I started having that country club mindset mm -hmm. because now I have the nice house. I have sure. the security. I, I, you know, I play golf with my buddies uh, in a, on, a, on a regular work day. And so it's like I had to go keep going back to the beginning of what do people go through and create that conversation, but do it on every channel available in, uh, and, and get all my channels and my marketing messaging in alignment. Because I think okay. a lot of people fail where they, you know, they're one way on Facebook, one way on Instagram, one way on YouTube, and the, the messaging gets diluted. Right. The people that really win the game, like the Ty Lopez's and Grant Cardone's and, and that, they're the ones that really understand how to get that messaging out on multiple platforms at one point in time and really just capture all, all, all of that. And so I worked really hard on um, also being using cutting edge technology okay. very early on. So direct vo uh, ringless voicemail, right. text message marketing, email marketing. I leaned in on Facebook and LinkedIn right when they first came out. Okay. And I realized that every platform is game. You it, there's a game. You can right. gamify it. Right. And there's always a way to hack the platform. Mm. It changes, but there's sure. always a way to hack. So like take Instagram. Like a lot of people know me from Instagram. I've right. got millions of followers. It's all BS on some level, right? <laughs> it's like if you're famous and you got a massive TV show or you're a super big celebrity, 
people naturally you get find tons you. of followers yeah otherwise you got to create mm. your celebrity and so for mm. me it was like okay step one get my wall on point so it's like when they show up are they going to immediately want to subscribe or immediately unsubscribe right or go you know not, you know uh, subscribe and then then take off and so I spent 90 days just perfecting how I want my wall to look and feel. Okay. What's the messaging on there? What's the visual? Is it in, you know, if you look right now, I kind of got patterns going and stuff. Right. And so it's like, I poured a lot of energy into writing those descriptions for, and giving people an experience. Then it was like, okay, now I have the, the foundation. Now let's start driving traffic to it and start getting some people to subscribe. I wasn't trying to get them off Instagram into my marketing funnels. I wasn't trying to sell them anything. I was just serving. Okay. And so then it was like going to guys like you that have a little audience. You know, if we were doing this in the podcast world, I'd say, I got a podcast, you got a podcast. Sure. Let's, let's work together. And finding those strategic partners where we can shout each other out and, and, and promote each other, but do it in a way that is mutually beneficial. Right. So found those partners and just serve them. And then eventually we started doing that. And I didn't have like a 500 person account and go to somebody that has a million followers and say, will you shout me out? That probably won't work. But I went to a bunch of other thousand people with just a little right. bit more than me and I served and I got a little group going where we all supported each other. Then as I got more followers, I got a bigger group bigger together group. and okay. I just kept doing sure. that over and over. And uh, surprising enough, you can buy your way to success. When you look at a lot of us successful entrepreneurs, it's like there are PR companies that get me into Inc. Magazine. It, right, there's no sure. real big secret. If you want into Inc., you buy your way in right. through a PR company that will write articles about you. Now, you have to be an expert at what you do. They're, they're not just going to write an, an article about anybody. Right. But if you're good at what you do and you're an, you're an expert and you're in a niche, you can get that stuff done. So I, I started the PR campaigns while at the same time getting my shout outs going, which means I needed some assets. I needed some videos and things for other people to post about me. Right. So I okay. had to model that out. But as you start getting some traction, the followers started coming and it got easier and more affordable mm -hmm. to grow it. Now you look at people, now they're doing stupid stuff. Like I see it all the time where um, you'll see a big celebrity like, uh, um, Floyd Mayweather, he'll give away ten thousand oh, dollars, but right. you got to follow these ten accounts. Right. And so they're they're doing these giveaways to get followers, but they're like not really wanting to follow you. They're, they're just, just trying to win the money. The so I think that's yeah. a kind of a bad way to to grow your following. I would rather have a thousand super engaged people that followed me that you know really are into what I'm doing than fifty thousand people do that have no clue who you are and right. don't even know why they're following you. For sure. So I built mine very slowly over time through these partnerships and these shout outs and stuff, but it was always people who landed on my page, I had to earn it. Mm, I had to earn that's a them good way to, to be there. That's for sure. And so that's how I think about marketing, put in the work, and uh, then once I had them on there, that, that's when the fun begins. That's when I started stepping back and going, okay, how do I pull them off of all these social platforms and into my world? And so from a funnel builder perspective, I'm like a scientist. <laughs> I go so deep on our funnels. It's like from the squeeze page to the offer, to the opt-in, to the copy, to the follow-up sequences, to the text, the emails, the ringless voicemails. Now I'm trapping you and the retargeting campaigns on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and uh, um, Instagram. Right. All of a sudden people are like, Sperber, you are nuts. You are everywhere. You're everywhere, yeah. But it all came together because <clears throat> I created the plan to have this omnipresence from day one. Right. That's awesome. That was a lot for a little. I don't know if I even made any damn sense there. But. Obviously, we have a lot of entrepreneurs that watch our show yeah. and everything. Congratulations, we changed the world, entrepreneurs. That's right. So as entrepreneurs, obviously, 
Um, running a business is difficult. We have, uh, we deal with a lot of failures and a lot of challenges and stuff. Um, for you, what has been, have you found working with entrepreneurs and everything, um, been able to help them get through the failures? So I've done other interviews and, you know, we've talked about. What did they say so I can have a, kind of an answer? Yeah, sure. No, I mean, we've talked about, like, a lot of people get stuck and they're stuck in this comfort zone yep. oh. and they're not able to push through mm -hmm. or find the way through that. So I guess working you know, with entrepreneurs, what yep. have you worked with them? And well, this, this is the big thing techniques. I tell everybody. Um, as an entrepreneur, and that's interesting, I got the bottle and the shirt, the average sucks thing, but this is like goes right into this. The whole, most people don't recognize that we have a compelling, every single day we have this compelling desire to be what it is that we are. So I, I believe here's where most entrepreneurs' biggest challenges come in is you get to a point in your life where you say to yourself, I'm sick and I'm done, and okay. I will never do that again. We don't know what that means, but when we make a blanket statement, your mind takes in everything. I will never do that again, everything sure. going on, right? So you get to a point where you say, I'll never do that again, and then you like move forward, and you got this big goal, this thing you want in front of you. And you build this box for yourself that slows you down. You build this, what I'd call your average. Okay. And every day you get up and you want things to change. So I don't think people fail as much as they, they wind up being stuck in what it is they're currently doing. So I don't think most people are failing. I think they can't get out of where they're at. Mm. They can't get out of their average. Okay. So the reason you develop this average for yourself and the reason you, is why I say average sucks, is that you're never gonna be happy being where it is that you're at. Okay. So where you think you're failing, you're not. You're just not getting what you want. And that distinction is very different. Now to get that somebody, is. to get someone over that, we now have to talk to you about how to get what you want. And most people are not working on what they want, they just don't wanna be where they're at. Sure. So they're like, right. I don't wanna be here anymore, I wanna stop failing, blah, blah, blah. Yep. So then you get comfortable with failing and you get really, really good at it. I don't like, you should not tolerate failing. You should be like, it's part of the game. But most people, are stuck in toleration. They're tolerating what it is they're dealing with. So okay. I've had a point in my life where like, like I failed for years and right. because I wanted to make it work. I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna figure this out. My, my line was, I will figure this out myself. I'm gonna make this work, uh, but, but, but hell or high water, I'll make this work, I'll figure it out myself. Yes. Well, there was my, my plan to figure it out myself. So everyone in the world wants to help me, but I'm gonna let them help me mm. because I was gonna figure it out myself. So you gotta right. ask yourself, when you first got started in business, what was your original reason for doing what you do? And most people was to have freedom, to be their own boss, and to not have to answer to anybody. Sure. Well, congratulations, you have a frustrating business of those three things. <laughs> you got freedom, you're frustrated, right. you don't have to answer to anybody, you're not where it is that you want sure. to be. So in order to change that, okay, in order to change that, you've got to ask yourself a different question, like is it time to reset what it is that you want? So I don't think people okay. are having trouble failing, I think they're having trouble getting out of where they're at. Got it. Yeah, no, so I think we should go a little bit deeper and yep. unpack that a little bit more. Walk me through an exact failure scenario. Anybody so, you've met, somebody you've written in. People still write in or they email in? Yeah, uh, usually it's comments. Okay. A lot of times What kind of failure on, are people dealing with? Uh, you know, so I guess. Uh, Let's be Bill from Ohio. <laughs> Bill from Ohio. So Bill from Ohio, he, you know, starts his, he's, uh, starts his real estate business and he's trying to flip houses, but he ends up losing money yeah. every single one that what he What did does. Bill do prior? He was just a blue collar worker in a factory. Is he good at that? He just punched the machine day in But he was down. pretty good at it, right? Yeah, he was good at it. His identity day. was blue-collar worker. Sure. At a, so the first place I would check is our identity. Okay. How do you see you? Like, people with weight loss, I'd say, like, what is your relationship with health? Mm, How do you identify yeah. yourself? Right. Like, I identify myself as a healthy person. For a while, I identified myself as an averagely healthy person. Now I identify myself as an extremely healthy person. Sure. But that guy, 
Bob or Bill, whoever it was we just named, he identifies himself <laughs> as a blue collar worker that's trying to figure out real estate. Okay, right. That's his identity. And his mind will do whatever it can to, to continually perpetuate that identity. He is stuck in his average. Okay. He has spent 27 years in the factory floor listening to David Allen Coe, whoever it was. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. That, in the factory. Whoever yeah. sang that song, the factory song. Do you know, take this job and shove it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And he's living in the factory, doing the thing he's doing day in, day out. And the people in his life are also reminding him, Bob, that's who you are. Bob, that's what you do. That's what's going on. So you've got to be willing to reshape your identity of how you see you and how the world sees you. Okay. And really go all in to be an entrepreneur. I've never met a entrepreneur that identifies with themselves as an entrepreneur that's ever complaining about struggling. I've met a transition person with an issue. True. Yeah. I mean, I, I know. You me, and I have problems, dude. Shit shows up. <laughs> right. For any of us. I mean, from when I, from when I was little, it, I don't know, probably eight. I knew I was an entrepreneur, yeah. even before. Did you use that word? No. Could you spell it? was a it? business owner, and no, I probably couldn't spell it I still it can't then. spell it. Do I you do what I literally, E-N-T-R-E. do you know how to spell it? Because I literally, every time I have to Google it, and what's so annoying is the Wikipedia, whatever it has, it spells it, E-N-T dot, and it, oh, I have to, like, you yeah. can't cut it and <laughs> bring it over, so over. it's like, I have to go to Entrepreneur Magazine and cut it and copyright <laughs> yeah, every single time. But yeah, no, so, but for me, I identified that at a young age and have always identified th- that as an, entre- I was an entrepreneur since then. Yeah, just always. Right. It's who you are, same with me. But if someone has identified for 30 years, who are you, what's your job, what do you do? <clears throat> Number one thing is you gotta change your identity. It doesn't walk around, I am an entrepreneur, I am an entrepreneur, that's not what you do. It's you just need to address the fact that I spend 30 years of my life doing right. this. Currently, I'm working on becoming more of an entrepreneur each day. Part of being an entrepreneur is failing. Okay. Part of it, not all of it. Right, yeah. And then so what, how do they then look at themselves, obviously then saying, not saying I'm an entrepreneur every single minute yeah. of the day, but how do they look what at that? What do entrepreneurs do? Yeah, I guess. Well, I'm going to ask you, what do they do? Uh, I mean, they start businesses, they create jobs. They read they Entrepreneur Magazine. Trans- they talk to people, entrepreneurs. They meet with people that are entrepreneurs. They do entrepreneurial habits. They open up a business account at the bank. They start doing all these things right. that entrepreneurs do, and they start identifying with themselves as an entrepreneur. Okay. It's not just getting a set of business cards. It's For not sure. just saying it. Yeah. It's changing your identification with people and changing your Surrounding relationships. Surrounding yourself who you're with. If your 50 friends get replaced with, those are nice people, conversations with them if they can stay. Sure. Because the people, places, and situations in your life will, that are currently with you are either going to come with you or be left behind in the way to getting right. where you want to go. I learned that years ago. Yeah. Okay. And so it's either you're going to get around the people you need to get around or you're going to stay where it is you're at. So it's by getting around the people you need to get around changing the conversation you're currently having and also identifying differently with yourself. Got it, okay. There is no quick fix for that, but the reason you're failing is that you are identifying as an entrepreneur that can't figure it out. Cool. So I know it's not the exact answer, because there is no answer <laughs> yeah, for that. No, there, yeah, no, I know what you're saying. It's time. It's, yeah. Not much time, though. I am Josh Felber. You are watching Making Bank. Get out and be extraordinary. Thank you for listening to Making Bank. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. And sharing is caring. Follow Josh Felber on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram for more. You can also listen to Making Bank on Amazon Alexa, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and watch on Apple TV, SuccessThinkers Network, Amazon Fire, and YouTube.